0: This is Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, and I'm John Worsey. In this series, we're exploring how breakthroughs here are changing our world today and in the future. This time, we're busting some nuclear energy myths. As we look to a winter of increasing energy bills, what is the future for affordable, clean energy? And what does nuclear have to offer? The thing is, this technology can often be misunderstood, And yet huge leaps forward are being made to improve the safety and effectiveness of the nuclear option. Today, we meet Professor Victor Becerra.
1: The power generation has a relatively low carbon footprint. It's an important benefit of nuclear power. That when you produce electricity with nuclear plants, the amount of carbon that is produced is negligible. If you compare this with the process of generating electricity with gas or oil or coal, then, of course, there's a huge difference there.
0: As we'll find out in this episode, Victor and his contemporaries are developing systems where the well-being of the natural world and energy efficiency are both priorities. (music) Let's start with a big question. What does it take to run a nuclear power plant?
1: A nuclear power plant consists of a nuclear reactor where, through nuclear fission, heat is produced Then this heat is used to produce steam that is transported towards a turbine and then it helps to turn the turbine and this turbine is coupled to an electricity generator that eventually produces the electricity and sends the electricity through the grid to the load centers. Of course, all this needs needs to be housed in an appropriate place with the appropriate security and safety and there is a need for significant amounts of personnel that is required to be working in the nuclear plant to keep it safe and working properly. There's a need for maintenance. There is the process of extracting the used fuel and then doing something appropriate with it.
0: With a lot of current focus on both the cost of living crisis and the Ukraine conflict limiting Europe's access to the likes of oil, just how important is nuclear power to the UK power network?
1: Nuclear plants currently supply around 5 gigawatts of power, while the country's demand varies from around 25 to about 40 gigawatts of power. In terms of energy, nuclear represents around 17% of the UK power generation. And this can be compared, for example, with 38.5% of natural gas and 38% of renewables, which are mainly wind and solar. Now, nuclear plants tend to operate at a continuous power level. And so they are very good at providing the base power, the level of power that is just below the variability of the demand. Given the current urgent need to produce the carbon footprint of generation, nuclear plants are worthy candidates to replace fossil fuel generation, among other forms, of course, as they produce relatively small amounts of greenhouse gases. Nuclear plants produce no greenhouse gases during their operation. However, over the course of their life cycle, they produce about the same amount of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions per unit of electricity as wind power, for example, and about one-third of the emissions per unit of electricity when compared to solar. So it is as good, if not even better in terms of CO2 generation, than the well-known renewable sources of wind and solar. Now, following the start of the conflict in Ukraine, the UK government has authorized the construction of a new 3.2 gigawatt nuclear power plant in Suffolk. The government has also ambitious plans to start work on eight nuclear reactors by the end of this decade. Moreover, we have additional projects that are planned with the aim of building nuclear generating capacity of around 24 gigawatts of power by 2050. This is the year when the country has to meet its legally binding zero emissions target. And while
0: the classic nuclear plant has its place, it would appear that bigger isn't always better.
1: Nuclear power plants traditionally have been very expensive to build. And it has taken usually decades, or at least one decade, to build up a large commercial plant. This is starting to change now. Although certainly large plants are still built, a smaller type of plant is being developed recently. The first design of such plants was approved in the US. These are called small modular reactors, and they are up to 300 megawatts of power, maybe one-third or even smaller than traditional nuclear plants. They occupy much less space and they are modular in the sense that they can be manufactured in parts, in modules in a factory. And then these modules are brought to the site where they are put together and eventually the plant is completed. This is different from the way traditional plants are built in that they are designed for the site, and uh, built on site as well. The small plants can be built rapidly as well, and they can be built in different places. They are not as restricted. Being smaller, should there was a problem, it's an accident, then the accident would be smaller as well. So they have a range of benefits, and this is probably the future of nuclear energy.
0: While nuclear energy is a low-carbon electricity source and the technology is developing at some pace, there are understandably concerns about its safety after coverage of rare nuclear accidents on our TV screens. Victor accepts that this can sway public opinion.
1: There have been some accidents that have resulted in the release of radioactivity into the environment. So we have the case of Chernobyl, for example, the case of Fukushima in Japan. These have left an imprint in people's minds. Not only that, people know that radioactivity can be harmful and that if released into the environment, there can be lots of different problems associated with the environment and the people and other forms of life on Earth. Also, people have awareness of other issues related with nuclear energy that include, for example, the handling of nuclear waste. These plants use fuel. This is solid fuel. That is employed to generate essentially heat that helps produce the electricity. And when the fuel is spent, then it becomes essentially waste that needs to be processed in some way, whether it is stored in a safe place for possibly thousands of years underground or in pools as intermediate forms of storage or reprocessed and recycled as well, that's also possible, then there are suspicions that these processes don't work that well. But in fact, they tend to work very well. In Ukraine, it is concerning that there are battles taking place near or around the nuclear plant. These plants are designed to withstand significant impacts, but not necessarily the impact of a High power missile. So it is indeed concerning, and bad things could happen if, for any reason, the plant is in any way attacked. And once the risks are
0: minimized and the safe recycling of nuclear waste develops, nuclear generated power has a good story to tell when it comes to emissions.
1: The power generation has a relatively low carbon footprint. It's an important benefit of nuclear power that when you produce Electricity with nuclear plants, the amount of carbon that is produced is negligible. Even before this crisis started with energy prices and the conflict in Eastern Europe, we were having an important environmental crisis. Human activities, including, of course, power generation, but not exclusively, of course, are having a significant impact on the environment, causing an increase in global temperatures. And this may have very drastic impact in human life and the environment in years to come. So it is extremely important to address this and reduce the emission of harmful gases that tend to be significant contributors to these global warming effects.
0: There are a number of different nuclear reactor types, with individual countries having different preferences. Victor highlighted one interesting development in India, where the current power industry is otherwise very reliant on coal.
1: One particular type of reactor which is very interesting is the fast breather reactor. It's very difficult to explain the technicalities behind that, but this is the type of reactor that opens the possibility of recycling the fuel and making it a closed fuel cycle in the plant.
0: The cost of energy is ever a hot potato. No more so than in the face of autumn price rises for consumers. So how does the bill for nuclear compare to things like solar power
1: or fossil fuels like coal? Nuclear tends to be more expensive, let's say, than some other forms. So yes, there's the need for constructing the large plants. They're complex, they need to be very safe. You need to run them with lots of people in them, operating them and maintaining them. All this adds up and... Results in significant expenses, but the amount of power that is produced is significant and steady and reliable. On the other hand, you have, for example, wind farms that you can deploy, for example, onshore or offshore. The fuel is free, it's natural. Similarly, we have solar plants. You need to deploy them, you need to buy the panels, you need to put them in place, you need to use land, uh, for example, to produce electricity at large scale. All that is a cost, but a fuel is free. You don't need to worry too much about any waste other than the panels at the end of the life of the plant, which is about 25 years. And again, you need to find ways of dealing with waste. There are differences in cost, for sure. In the end, what matters is the overall cost of electricity that is eventually charged to customers. So how do you
0: think about nuclear energy systems to design them differently? Victor's early studies included cybernetics, where living things and technology meet. It's this discipline and way of thinking that's played a crucial role in designing smart energy systems.
1: Cybernetics was originally known as the science of control and communications in man and machine. This is 1950s. Today, cybernetics is a modern discipline that encompasses control systems, robotics, bioengineering, instrumentation, communications, and artificial intelligence. The cybernetics approach is very useful in designing smart energy systems as it helps to consider the energy system as a whole, including the human element. There is a human element there because there are operators that interact with the system. So, The cybernetics approach helps to understand the interaction and its consequences between humans, computers, and the physical elements of the energy system. Following my initial training and early industrial experience as an electrical power systems engineer, I decided to pursue doctoral studies in control engineering, which is an aspect of cybernetics, let's say. And I focused on this area for more than two decades before taking my current position as a professor of power systems engineering at Portsmouth. Now, control systems are intended to make systems operate in a way that is desirable and over time. So, for example, in a nuclear power plant, it is necessary to control the amount of power that is produced by the nuclear reactor. The pressure of steam that is produced the speed of the turbine, the voltage of the generator, among many other variables, such that the plant operates as intended and in a safe manner. An example of a control system that we all operate in our home is a heating system. We have a thermostat that we can adjust, and in that way we can set the desired temperature. And the control system then takes charge of ensuring that we reach more or less the desired temperature. So... Control systems help to automatically keep important parameters in a plant or system at desired and safe values with minimal human intervention. Then the more complex the system that you are controlling is, the more intelligent and sophisticated the control system needs to be. And it happens that energy systems can be very complex, sometimes encompassing even whole countries or whole continents.
0: It's this systems approach that's allowed Victor to reach an incredible breakthrough in technology. One that addresses the safety questions that often come up around the topic of nuclear power stations.
1: I have worked in two consecutive EPSRC projects where We have done developments for both identifying the presence of faults, and uh, together with our partners, we develop tools for analyzing data from nuclear plants in order to detect the presence of breakages in the cooling circuit of nuclear reactors. And not only that, the size, how large the breakages are. In this subsequent project that was completed this year, we developed a method for controlling nuclear reactors, tolerance to faults. You may think, well, nuclear plants must be built to be tolerant to faults, and that's true. But what we were doing is developing tolerance in places where normally it's not embedded. This is the algorithms themselves that do the conventional type of regulation of the different parts of the plant, for example, controlling pressures and temperatures, they are conventional, they are not necessarily fault-tolerant, and we were working on adding fault-tolerance to these basic algorithms. And Victor is keen to assure us all
0: that the world of nuclear power is not only safe, but getting safer every day, in part thanks to the work he and his team put in.
1: Nuclear energy has been around for decades, and the process of producing electricity using nuclear energy has become safer and safer over time to the point where plants are extremely reliable facilities they produce clean energy which is extremely good for the environment and they're extremely safe hopefully that episode has helped shed some light on the different
0: kinds of nuclear power options that exist and answered a few of the common questions around how safe and affordable it really is And while it's good to know the risk of a large-scale disaster is low, the day-to-day reduction in carbon emissions through the combination of nuclear and renewable energies also bodes well for the long-term future of the planet. Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. If you want to go and find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth, visit the website port.ac.uk slash research. We'll be back next week with another episode of Life Solved. Catch you then.